You're listening to CFUV 101.9 FM, the voice of Victoria. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hello and welcome to another episode of You in the Ring, your weekly roundup of campus news and events. I'm your host, Aviva Lassard. Today on the show, we'll hear about an upcoming workshop on 3D printing here at UVic, hosted by Replicate Studios. Jennifer Landry will be talking to us also about an article she wrote for the Marlet about gender identity. We'll also be hearing from an undergraduate student, Richelle Donaldson, and her Indigenous Studies research here at UVic, where she conducted talking circles in the Indigenous communities. But first, we'll hear from Caitlin Kokosa about a Martlet story, UVic's independent newspaper that she's been working on. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've been working on at the Martlet? Yeah, so um, in terms of the mental health piece that I've been working on, um, I was working with a volunteer, Anna James, um, on a story about just checking up on the mental health services at UVic. Um, we were finding just personally that we found the wait times a bit longer than most students would have liked. So we decided to get together and do kind of an exploratory feature on that. Um, and can you tell us a bit like about the mental health services that UVic offers? Yeah, so it's kind of... Um, there's two different options that students normally take. You can go to counseling services within UVic or you can go um, outside of UVic um, where the UVSS plan covers um, the stuff outside of UVic as well. Um, what we l tried to focus on was what UVic was doing um, compared to other universities like Guelph where they did see four suicides in the last year, which was kind of extreme. Um, so we were looking at how many counselors that they had compared to how many students. Um, so right now they have 15 working counselors for 21,000 students, which seems like not enough. Obviously mm -hmm. not all of them are using counseling services, but it's, you know, it seems like the number should be a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. um, and so how is the system supposed to work? Right. Um, so in terms of just the numbers, um, when we did talk to counseling services for them, it wasn't just about um, the number of counselors. It was about the space and the different kinds of support being offered. So right now, a student can go and book an appointment and it might take um, the data that they gave us um, minimum like eight days to get in, sometimes up to 16 days in the busier mm -hmm. times. Some students have reported waiting months to get an appointment, or they can go into the 20-minute walk-in sessions um, where they have to kind of camp out early in the day to try to get one of the eight spots, and if they don't, they have to come back the next day. Mm -hmm. um, or they can phone crisis lines and that kind of thing. So that's like how students can gain contact there. Um, another thing that the university has been doing is um, the Office of Student Life is offering a lot of peer-to-peer -peer workshops, and, like support groups. Um, you won't necessarily get the one-on-one -on -one time with a um, counselor, but you still can get support from your peers that way. Well, um, and so the main problems and complaints, they've been kind of about the wait times. That's right. Yeah. So I know um, when somebody's in crisis, obviously, it's really frustrating to hear like, oh, like, I'm so sorry you're struggling with that. Come back in one month's time mm -hmm. so that we can fix your problem that seems really extreme right now. Um, so that's kind of the main thing. And I know a lot of students aren't really satisfied. The problem is the counseling office, of all people know, that they don't have enough staff, they don't have enough space and enough support. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the toughest thing in talking and doing the story is that like you don't necessarily want to say like, hey, counseling services, like why can't you service every student mm -hmm. in a timely manner? Because they, they kind of know. Already. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so the wait lines, the wait times are kind of attributed to, like you said, not enough staff and not enough offices. Yeah, and that was kind of an interesting factor that I didn't expect doing the story was the amount of offices. Mm -hmm. um, the director, um, she was saying, and the co-director, they were saying 
it's just office space. They have um, five, I believe they're practicum um, counselors working in one office. So that doesn't really work because it cuts down the hours. You can't do one-on-one sessions. You have to schedule it. Just like would be a scheduling nightmare. And this is why I think Hmm. like a lot of people are waiting. So it's literally like a physical space kind of issue. And one of the solutions that they suggested was working with the Office of Student Life. Like a lot of students go in thinking that they need a one-on-one session. Mm -hmm. Um, That might not necessarily be the case if they want to immediately be um, receiving support. Um, so they were working with the Office of Student Life to do a lot of those peer-to-peer workshops and they're saying it's helping a lot. And kind of have some outreach so that students know the other options. That's right, yeah. Um, and in the article you noted that mental health issues have been rising on campuses. Can you explain this? Do you know any of the factors relating to this? Um, I wouldn't be like privy to stats or anything like that but I know um, it's one of the issues that students really care about and are really advocating for. Um, The UVSS partnered with um, like the administration at UVic with the Mental Health Awareness Week so it's obviously an issue that students are still pressing on and I'm like as a student myself you know especially around exam time you totally let your mental health and well-being slip so it's like to have the services there available at all times is something super Mm -hmm. important. Um, and how have you found that UVic is addressing the problem? Um, I guess like through the Office of Student Life is a new thing. Um, I know that when I was speaking with the um, communications um, director, Paul Mark, he was giving me some numbers on the Office of Student Life and they've received like quite a bit of funding this year for the Mental Health Awareness Week and that kind of thing. So there are steps being taken. Um, I recently received an email with like the operating budget of the counseling office and it goes up every year. Mm -hmm. Um, So the issues I say would be they are being addressed. However, it's like kind of a time thing. It's not it's really hard to address such a large issue like so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And how can students advocate for improved services? Yes, that's one of the things that um, at the end of the article we like to touch on because um, the administration is not going to going to address issues unless we bring them up. So things like um, participating in the Mental Health Awareness Week, um, sending, like talking to profs, talking to people in administration, and talking especially to the UVSS because they do a lot of advocating for students. Um, and the UVSS can av- um, can like lobby the government. And that's one of the things that they've been doing um, with other issues for us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of services available to students outside of the university, can you kind of list a bit? Or tell us a bit more about those. Yeah, um, I'd say if you were looking for an extensive list, look in the future. Um, sure, yeah. But I know that um, one of the cheaper ones um, was citizen counseling. Um, I know that there are a lot of like helplines listed um, on the mental health um, services website too. Is a really good resource. It has a whole list of all the different places that you can call mm-hmm. and how much it costs, and like usually has like the wait times in there in there as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but you did say that if you do seek counseling outside of UVic, it can be covered by the UVSS plan. Yeah, that's right. And in talking to Maxwell Nicholson, um, that was one of the things that he was really proud of. Um, he said on his end of things, making the health plan covering um, as much as it can in that regard. Um, it's listed in the article, like how much it actually covers. But it's a fairly significant amount because, I mean, counseling is kind of expensive outside. But if you can get to places like citizen counseling where it's like ten dollars a session and mm-hmm. UBSS can cover it, like you can get treated. That's really good. Um, but how do you see the situation improving after covering this story? Right. So I guess um, on the surface level, giving the counseling office more office space to work out of, mm-hmm. um, whether that's just like in a different building 
across campus um, and outside of the university center. Um, in terms of the long-term solution, I'd say um, really branching out in the different types of support, which they're kind of already starting to do, um, and just making more one-on-one counselors available. I know, though, even in talking to the director, she was um, citing another bigger school in the States and said, like, they have over 50 counselors, and even still, they're totally booked. Mm -hmm. So I really think it's the peer-to-peer support. And also, it starts in the classroom, too. I think, like, classroom environments, um, when profs are really open about um, testing and deadline and are really understanding, Mm -hmm. that takes the stress off of students and even making it available to just talk to students mm-hmm. really helps yeah I've heard like an anecdote um, my brother's at um, at Queen's University and they had mm-hmm. a really serious um, kind of mental health crisis I think with suicides and I know that they have really taken a lot of changes in the curriculum itself having like um, more work, group work and having exams kind of be weighted less or or more depending on what works best for the students mm-hmm. so having it kind of mm-hmm. like come from the Um, curriculum and changing that like school environment definitely yeah for sure and yeah I guess UVic can also change in that way yes always improving (laughs) yeah um so I guess the main um improvements you see is kind of like more office space and yeah more peers uh to peer support groups and just kind of more resources in general yeah that's right yeah and then as students we should be trying to advocate for better services yeah exactly and just helping each other out like if you see your friends struggling with things and don't just think oh it's like the exam struggle like actually take the time to ask them if they're Mm -hmm. okay yeah and not to just only rely on the the one-on-one services that's right yeah so Caitlin what other stories are there at the Martlet that you can tell us about yeah, so we're going into our summer season, um, so we're monthly, but we do have some really exciting um, headlines coming up. Um, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is um, the next board meeting with the new board on the UVSS. Um, we will be their first one. It will be their first one, so we can see what they're up to, what they're planning, what they think. Um, the other story that's kind of like an update is on the childcare um, issue for Center 6. Um, we've covered a lot of it in the last year, but it's still a developing thing. Um, so that's another one that we're super excited to keep going on because it's a really like, hard-pressing issue. So the issue is, in general, what is it? Right. So Center 6, um, it's like a childcare center for children, I believe, 6 to 12. They just decided to close. Um, the situation kind of was, um, UVic decided, we don't have enough resources and time for this. We're just going to close it. And then there was backlash about it. And then they said, okay, we're going to um, rethink this a little bit and like see if we should close it. Um, and a lot of parents are obviously not happy with that. All of a sudden, just having to find childcare for the kids while going to school. Mm. Yeah, a big problem in, uh, I guess, in Victoria in general, the whole childcare I heard them debating about it last night at the uh, provincial debate. Yeah, and that's another thing, too. Um, Our next issue is coming right before the provincial election, so we're going to have a lot of election coverage in there as well. Mm -hmm. Any others? Um, On the lighter side of things, um, I guess I'm doing a deep cuts of um, cartoons from 2000 to 2005. (laughs) Um, You know, it was kind of a response to me blowing off some steam after finals and stuff just watching <laughs> cartoons and realizing they have they have a lot of value they have a lot of lessons that even going back like I learned a lot <laughs> what kind of cartoon um some of my I guess it's kind of like bias because it's like a culture kind of opinion piece so my favorites are like um Magic School Bus and mm. Jacob Tutu and um Hey Arnold 
and that kind of thing. Like we're going a little bit farther back as opposed <laughs> to like recess and weekenders and those ones that people might remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when will the next Martlet out, um, be out? Um, so the next issue is on May the 4th. Great. Okay. We'll keep our eyes posted for that. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much. Yeah. Next up, we'll hear from Yoko, who met with the team of Replicate Studios to learn more about their one-day hands-on workshop through the University of Victoria's Division of Continuing Studies. It will take place on May 6th. The workshop will appeal to anyone wanting to improve their 3D printing literacy, to build personalized objects, or create something completely out of their imagination. Hello, Kate and Angus. Uh, could you introduce yourself and uh, talk about what uh, your position is in, ter- uh, in relation to this 3D printing workshop we're going to talk about together? Sure, you bet. Well, I'm Kate. Um, I am the Kate behind Replicate Studios, and I uh, set up this studio um in 2015 and I have a number of 3D printers where uh, I wanted to be able to share um, the ideas that uh, I have for <laughs> I don't, there's a lot to share everything from mechanical engineering parts to uh, doing uh, reproductions of uh, pre-existing artifacts and doing um, you know as close to as possible realistic so I don't know if that helps as an introduction, <laughs> but um. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm Angus, and uh, my role is largely um, producing uh, drafts for client designs, um, as of late, anyway. Uh, we also put on these courses, and I'm kind of the uh, right-hand man in that sense, just presenting to. Uh, to the, uh, I guess, the continuing education audience on this kind of emerging technology and developing technology and really to anyone that's interested in uh, where this kind of stream of manufacturing is going. And, uh, yeah, that's more or less my role, I'd say. So um, can you tell us what uh, we will find in this workshop, what we can expect? Sure. Uh, there's a, seems to be a wide range of uh, applications that uh, people are seeking to apply 3D printing to, uh, whether it's a functional application or it could be uh, a repair that they're doing or possibly a jig or a fixture as part of um, equipment they might be using. Um, there's also the reproductions of existing artifacts that maybe they they don't want to have to handle but they want to share with their family members and so making a reproduction of that um, prototyping is also mm-hmm. people come with their own concepts and ideas of mm-hmm. things that they want to like enclosures a little drawer for a custom-made um, game from one of our previous students here at UVic at the first workshop that we offered in the fall uh, I think she's quite happy with mm-hmm. uh, bringing it yeah. was a really neat story with her because it had been um, about 19 years ago she had done a very beautiful hand-painted uh, puzzle a little Sudoku puzzle uh, for her grandson who was one years old and he um, 
played with it and she always wanted a cl an enclosure for it, a custom enclosure, and she came to the class with an idea about the enclosure and Angus using his CAD skills, his computer-aided design skills, um, was able to uh, produce a digital um, um, model for it to subsequently be 3D printed. So mm -hmm. um, this student was very happy with having uh, an enclosure to put around her custom game. And it, it only took 19 years to do, but we got her there. So <laughs> it was very rewarding and satisfying to be able to support someone that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about 3D printing, but um, I read you could print food in the article that I read. Uh, what does that look like? What is like, what does it mean? It's uh well, really, uh, 3D printing is just uh, kind of a facet of uh, additive manufacturing. It's just you take some sort of raw material, uh, make it into a, I guess, a uh, form of that material that can be molded into a shape uh, by a, kind of the same method as a hot glue gun. So really anything you can, that you can take from a solid form, put through a liquid form and back into a solid phase in you know, a span of a second, you can 3D print with, so like that could be food. Uh, you do people are doing it with concrete to build walls for houses right now, um, metal, plastics, what have you? Yes, I heard uh, somewhere that you could uh, 3D print a house, an entire house, right? Yeah, well, they're they're doing kind of the same thing. They just have a like some sort of concrete alternative or cement that comes out. Of your extrusion place and they just um, run it around like to build up a wall and they're simple structures but they've started kind of taking those simple things and just compacting them putting them together to make larger structures out of the same uh, fabrication method good yeah. um, has there been any projects uh, in your in your workshop that uh, surprised you some people might have come up with uh, projects that might have surprised you completely or no? Yes, actually I had one, um, oh, I've had several people um, not just use their, um, come to the, the class with learning about the, the printing and that being the end of it. They've gone on to uh, develop their own um, CAD skills and design skills in creating digital assets and then in making that part of their lives and they've gone on to buy 3D printers and I feel like this class has really been an opportunity to build community and build community locally and, and have other people that are doing interesting things. I learned from the people that um, I was first introduced to and what they are doing and, and learning what they are moving on to and, and troubleshooting and problem solving and, and, and making these both functional and meaningful, I often say that, is there's this, people are able to contextualize how 3D printing can be used in their own lives and there's really, that's what surprises me is I am just a support person, I'm not necessarily mm. a top-down teacher of what 3D printing is about. I'm sort of support, we support um, what people are wanting to do with objects in their lives, you know, whatever their interest is, whether it's in textiles or uh, a prototype for a custom game or... Mechanical parts. Or mechanical or whatever parts, you might yeah. The sky yeah. is the limit. Yeah. Concept, but yeah, I think we're kind of 
agents of being able to make that bridge between, oh, you have this idea, here's how we can make that a physical reality for you. So uh, I, you brought a few objects. So here I'm holding a little. Uh, uh, we affectionately. It's you yeah. actually. <laughs> it's Angus. I'm holding Angus in my hands. A uh, little black sculpture, and it does look like you. It's it's pretty uh, interesting, and this is. Who is this? That one is myself. That's Kate. Yep. Okay, but you had a different uh, haircut. I do have a little, little <laughs> more hair in that one, yes. <laughs> and what else did you bring? I've also brought, that's a sculpture of my mother. Oh! Uh, who is often featured in these projects as our, our <laughs> test bunny. Um, I've scanned those particular uh, busts of a person. So what we do is capture a person in a posture, a sitting posture, sitting on a swivel stool, 10 to 30 frames per second, and then we stitch all of those frames together to create a digital asset and then clean it up a little bit so that we can subsequently print it. And that's what you're holding there is those busts of us that went, went through that process. Um, with, I, I then went on to, here's Darth Vader's body without a head. Um, and what I've done is taken my mother's head, shrunk it down, and put it on top of Darth Vader's body. It seemed oh, like, wow. <laughs> like the appropriate thing to do is Darth Mom. Is what w. We, and her name happens to be Wendy, so okay. <laughs> the, the W is extruded out of her chest in, in CAD. It's quite so, fun. Yeah. Yes. And uh, there's a shoe. Yeah, that was kind of a... Inter like we got this new material uh, it's relatively pliable and soft and uh, we kind of toyed with the idea of trying to actually print some sort of uh, wearable slipper in a one go I mean uh, Kate's Kate's foot is just large enough or just <laughs> small enough to fit on the print bed and so we kind of toyed with the idea of making a, a set of slippers out of this rubbery material but uh have yet to actually <laughs> get, to get there. there. We did. We did the small model. <laughs> I, I might have a pair of flip flops by the end of summer. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they already 3D print Ooh, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. shoes and and yeah. fabric and clothing and all that. Mm -hmm. What kind? Um, can we uh, print with uh, all, any kind of material, like wood or? Um, well, what you're holding there is kind of a mixture. So it's 30% uh, of kind of wood chips, like really fine wood flakes. And then the other 70% is just the standard plastic that you see in the rest of the parts here. And uh, you can get other materials that are similar to that, where they have some percentage of like a metal infused into them. And uh, so yeah, but really the, the material is kind of, uh, you can think of a new material to print with, you can figure out some process that you can actually do that kind of additive manufacturing with to make it happen. So. Fascinating. So uh, let's, um, when is the workshop? How do you apply? When? What, is there a deadline to apply? Where is it taking place? When? Uh, the course, uh, Introduction to 3D Printing, is happening here at UVEC on May 6th. It is from 10 to 4 p.m. 
Uh, you go to the Continuing Studies website and you'll find the sign up for the one day workshop there. Um, there, as far as I know, right up until the day of, they have, you might want to check with registrations as to when the, the cutoff is. But uh, it's certainly, I guess it's only a week and a half away or two weeks away. So um, I know it is filling up. We had a really successful run out at the Royal Roads University. Mm -hmm. So um, if you are interested in participating, sign up and uh, we'd, we'd love to see you there. Okay, so you go to the Continuing Studies uh, web page on uh, yeah. UVic website and you'll find the 3D printing workshop. Yes, if you type in Introduction to 3D Printing, I expect that should come up for you. Um, or just some tagline of that in your Google search bar with UVic should pop up. And it's also on our website of the studio, which is Replicate Studios, which is both where Angus and I work. And it's replicate with an eight, so R E P L I K eight, the letter eight dot C A. And on the workshops page, there's a link directly to the sign up for UVic continuing studies. There. Okay. Well, Kate and Angus, thank you very much for this uh, awesome presentation of this workshop, and I hope uh, it will be as successful as the previous years. Yeah, thank Super. you for having us well, Thanks for having us, you bet. <laughs> You're welcome. You're listening to CFUV 101.9 FM, the voice of Victoria. Next up, we'll be hearing a song by The Bills, a Canadian band called Happy Bee. Stroking the pines, scratching what my heart please Letting the wind blow, blow my mind away Well, when you do, you do, you do You don't thinking about the woes that you were running from Or dwelling upon the world that you were coming from Just let the sun, the sky, the air, the feel of you are free to happy be
Welcome back to CFUV 101.9 FM. Next up, we'll hear from Rochelle Donaldson and her research in the Indigenous, Indigenous Studies Department at UVic. Welcome, Rochelle Donaldson, um, to CFUV. Um, we're going to talk a bit about some of the research that you've been doing at your time at UVic. So first of all, um, where are you from and how does this influence your research? And give us a bit of background about yourself, your name and all that. Totally. Um, so my name is Rochelle. Um, I'm originally from Nanus Bay, BC, which is just about two hours north of here on Vancouver Island. Um, I've lived in Lekwungen and Songhe, sorry, um, Lekwungen and Wasanish territories for about uh, five years now. Um, so yeah, I was born and raised in Nanus. Um, my parents moved there before I was born, and um, my Mom's family is originally from um, Kitsum-Kalem in northern BC, which is just north of Terrace. Um, so I'm Shamshian on her side. And then on my dad's side, um, he's from a bunch of different places, kind of most no notably um, Alberta and Vanderhoof, um, and he's English and Scottish. Um, and so it was really, yeah, I grew up away from my traditional territory, but I grew up in kind of like a similar rural setting, which I think really um, has really affected what I do in my education and my research. I really, um, I try to focus a lot of what I do on rural communities and understanding small towns and understanding and giving rights and representation to specifically small indigenous towns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why did you come to UVic to study? Um, UVic was a really easy choice for me because my sister lived in, in Victoria, it was um, close by to where my parents were, um, and I really value having family close by, um, so in that regards it was really easy. Um, I came to UVic to study um, political science, and I knew that UVic had a really amazing poli-sci reputation, um, and I actually originally came here with the intention of pursuing journalism along mm -hmm. with poli-sci, that was my goal um, and then I took took a couple semesters of journalism and decided that I didn't really like it mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then I switched into um, indigenous studies for my minor after taking um, an indigenous feminisms course in my second year so tell us a bit about um, talking circles the research that you've done and how did it start yeah so um, in my fourth year, I um, wrote an honors thesis entitled um, Comparing Canadian Liberal and Indigenous Feminist Perspectives on Equality. And um, the goal of that was basically to highlight the fundamental differences between Canadian and Indigenous perspectives on something as simple as the discourse surrounding equality, some, you know, something that we never really interrogate. Um, so in the way that I decided to do that was through talking circles. So I hosted... Um, several circles and communities and I decided to do that format just because I wanted to create kind of a more collaborative and a more safe approach to the things that we were talking about um, because often the discussions would could get fairly heavy you know we were talking about um, you know institutionalized racism and historical colonialism and ongoing colonialism um, and so some of the discussions were really intense and I wanted to make sure that everybody 
felt really safe and supported in the space. So it literally is like a circle of people talking about their experiences. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a little bit, you know, some people ask me why I didn't just do like focus groups or something like that. And it's a little bit different, um, mostly in that all of the people who are in the circle um, are gifted as a thank you for their time. Um, I provided um, food for everyone who was in the circle um, and then anything else that was needed to make it accessible. So mm -hmm. um, I had childcare available and then I gave out bus passes to some people if they needed it. Um, it's just to make the space um, kind of more conducive so that people could just be there and focus on their time mm -hmm. there rather than everything else that they had it's going kind on. of taking that ethics protocol to another level yeah definitely mm -hmm. definitely um and then a big thing too was that I was a participant in the circle as well you know I wasn't just there as a researcher I was there um you know supporting and encouraging the community members and sharing my own story as well so mm -hmm. it was really it was reciprocal in that mm -hmm. way you weren't just yeah. a little researcher no <laughs> yeah totally mm -hmm. and so how, what is the connection between like talking circles and indigenous communities? Is there a specific link? So I think the reason that I just wanted to do things in circle was that it creates um, the circles are equal and they're continuous. And so the idea behind that was to create a space where everybody who was participating was on the same ground. It wasn't, you know, so one of the talking circles that I did was um, with Esquimalt Nation, which is a place that I had worked previously in the past and it was really cool because in one of the circles we had a bunch of different you know we had moms and grandmas and we had people who worked with the band office and people who were off reserve um so we had a really cool cross-section of people and um I think the value in having that circle style of format was that everybody felt equal in that moment and they felt that their what they had to say was being shared in a safe space where it wasn't going to be you know used against them or they weren't going to be judged or anything like that so I think mm -hmm. that was um that was really important and yeah I think I derived a lot of my methodology from um courses that I had taken um in the Nongit, part of the indigenous studies minor okay. at UVic yeah so it's a it's a suite of courses that is open specifically to indigenous students mm -hmm. um and it's really cool. I encourage any Indigenous student on mm -hmm. campus to take it. Um, Can you repeat the name? Lenongit. So okay. it's, um, it, I would connect with um, somebody from the Office of Indigenous Affairs about mm -hmm. it. Um, and basically it's a research seminar where you learn how to do kind of community-based research. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can either choose to do what's called a community internship, so you can mm -hmm. work in community for a set amount of time, or you can do a research apprenticeship mm -hmm. um, where you work with a professor or faculty member to do a research project that you're interested in, mm -hmm. and that's what I did. I worked with um, Dr. Charlotte Lopi on a project on sexual health education on reserve. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how many talking circles did you end up organizing? So I had three. Um, Three was the number that I had wanted to go with, but I had actually originally wanted to do one at Esquimalt First Nation, one at the Victoria Native Friendship Center, and then the third at UVic. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, just because of kind of like time constraints, I couldn't do the mm -hmm. one at the Friendship Center. Um, and it was kind of one of those things where I didn't want to, uh, you know, I didn't want to just be that person 
coming into the community and leaving. You know what I mean? I felt comf- mm-hmm. I felt really comfortable doing it in a squamalt because I had worked there. I had spent months and months, you know, mm-hmm. building up relationships, and I. Um, I knew a lot of the people who were in the circle, so that was really powerful. Um, and then it was the same with UVic. Like I had um, had gotten really familiar with the indigenous community there, and felt like I could ask them to do this for me. Mm-hmm. But you know, unfortunately, with the VNFC, I didn't have enough time to kind of build that relationship mm-hmm. where I felt comfortable going in. Yeah. So I ended up hosting two circles in Esquimalt and then one circle at Ubik. Um, and in total, it came out to about probably somewhere between six and eight hours of recorded content. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So definitely a lot to get a research project started. For sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and so what was the kind of outcome and what kind of, um, what did you learn about through these t- circles and what were women telling you? Yeah, I think the coolest thing that I learned was that... Um, I mean, I like Indigenous women are just so amazing, and every time I sit, kind of in an environment like that, I'm just I'm always blown away at the depth of understanding that Indigenous women bring to their surroundings. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we were talking about things like like not being seated at a restaurant, or you know, being pushed on the bus, or something like that. Like really, mm-hmm. kind of like simple microaggressions, but through those conversations we were able to really connect it to kind of to institutionalized forms of discrimination and colonialism mm-hmm. um so that was really cool it was amazing to see um community members making those connections and kind of actively exerting that kind of control and agency over their lives that was mm-hmm. really cool yeah so what i did with that i kind of um basically i in my honors thesis, I really tried to thematize the content that I had gotten in the talking circles, which, you know, it was tricky because, you know, everyone has such different experiences. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, I just tried to focus on what um, what Indigenous women were really struggling with and what they needed to feel equal. Mm-hmm. And it was, that was really cool, too, because we got to talk about what it is like to feel equal rather than to kind of be equal on paper Hmm. so that was like a really cool distinction that we made where it was you know and then we started talking about um the emotionality that goes into equality rights you know so does it is if you're equal do you feel happy like should you feel joyful should you and that was kind of the ultimate kind of like recommendation or step forward that i found in my paper was that you know indigenous women should not only have the right to be equal within society, but they should have the right to be thriving and joyful and mm-hmm. successful within society. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what were yeah, what were the main themes? One of the main concerns was around um, child welfare, so around um, uh, mothering and being able to be a member of a family and feel um, connected in that way. Um, as you know, we all know the child welfare system in Canada is really, really flawed and lots of Indigenous children are subject to that. And so a lot of the women felt that as their rights as women should be to be able to be a mother. That was really important. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that we talked about was, um, was having full kind of representation. So 
not only within their own communities, which a lot of them struggled with, because I think that there was a lot of um, kind of internalized patriarchy within the communities, um, but also within Canada and a broader scale as well. So it was kind of cool. We got to play a little bit with um, like the intersectionality between gender and race. You know, it wasn't just as an indigenous person I'm, di- mm-hmm. I'm discriminated against, as an indigenous woman, here, mm-hmm. this is what I'm experiencing. Um, and then um, connection to culture was another really big thing. Um, indigenous women saw that connection as a right and as something that was so fundamental to their identity that it kind of, you couldn't take that away, you know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of the women that I've talked to and something that I've definitely experienced in my own life is that you know, the minute that you're removed from that culture, you lose a part of who you are and you lose a part of your identity. So I think, if, yeah, if that was something that came up in circles a lot was women wanting to reconnect with their culture and their language mm-hmm. and their heritage too and their families. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so what kind of an impact do you think that the talking circles had on the participants? Um, I got a lot of really positive feedback from the participants. Um, a lot of them said that they wanted to kind of continue to um, create these spaces for women within their communities, that they were, um, you know, often not able to gather in those kind of ways to, um, you know, to even talk about really simple issues or what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I did um, after I completed my thesis was that I... Um, created and mailed out copies of the research to everyone that I did research with. Um, So that was really cool. I really hope that, you know, they found, they were able to find some value in it, or Mm -hmm. at least, you know, it's cool to see your voice transformed into kind of a piece of academic work. Like Mm -hmm. that's, you know. um, And then, yeah, it really, too, it really strengthened my relationship with definitely the Indigenous community at Ubik and in Esquimalt. It was really neat when I am... when I presented my thesis, a lot of people who had participated in the circles came out to watch and see mm-hmm. it, um, and that was amazing, just, you know, sharing that experience with them, and yeah. Well, I've definitely heard of, like, I mean, you mentioned um, sending your research back to the people, which mm-hmm. is, I think, such an amazing step, because mm-hmm. that's been such a source of, of problem, I think, in academia, mm-hmm. especially, like, I don't know, I've studied a bit in the anthropology field, like, yeah. a lot of just going in, doing your research, and then not being accountable definitely. to the people who you researched um, in the medical field and in lots of different fields, so mm-hmm. that's really nice to see these like changing steps and and doing what you should be doing which is yeah doing research for people yeah you know yeah Mm -hmm. well something that I learned um again in that Lenongit course was the value of it's called like returning the gift Mm -hmm. the teaching that I received you know because these people are taking the time out of their days and out of their lives to do emotional work for you Mm -hmm. and you have to acknowledge that you know that you have to be able to return that gift to the community in some ways. So mm-hmm. I hope that in a, in, you know, in some small way, I was mm-hmm. able to participate in that. Yeah, and hopefully yeah. it's not over, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Are you still going to be conducting any talking circles in the future? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I had a really amazing time doing that research, and it definitely felt like, like when I was finished, I was like, it felt like the starting off point for something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, I decided to take a break from school for a little bit just because I found the last little bit of it really taxing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely in the future want to go and do my master's degree in something. Um, 
and I'm really I want to focus on indigenous women's resilience within communities because um, I think there's so many powerful stories that need to be told there mm-hmm. um, so and I you know I don't really know what that will look like if, if it will take the same format or if mm-hmm. it will look like something different that's you know but I do yeah, I got a lot out of doing that research, and I definitely see myself continuing something. And even as, like, this is a piece of research that is now accessible, people can use that methodology. Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that's online, too. Like, I've made mm-hmm. the entire research project public. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how could listeners um, find out more about this research? Anybody can always email me. It's um, rochelledonaldson at gmail.com, um, R-I-C-H-E-L. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anybody's... Um, able to email me I'm always willing to talk um, mm-hmm. so if other people yeah. would want to organize a talk totally circle. totally mm-hmm. um, I think some really great resources to start out with um, UVic the um, Office of Indigenous Affairs has some amazing people there who are more than happy to connect you with resources um, they have a amazing um, elders in residence program um, mm-hmm. which is where I got a lot of my guidance not only for this but also just throughout being a student, mm-hmm. I found a lot of really important guidance from the elders there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say connect with them. And yeah, um, connecting with the Lenaget program is also an amazing place to start for doing that kind of work. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for coming mm-hmm. and chatting with me. Yeah. It was really nice. Thanks to- for coming on. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> But it ain't in his coffee
This is CFUV 101.9 FM. We've just heard the band The Wooden Sky and the song Swimming in Strange Water off their album of the same title. Up next, we have Jennifer Landry here in the studio from The Martlet, who wrote an article about gender identity. Welcome to the studio, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. So um, what prompted you to write this about this subject? Actually, it began quite a while ago. I was taking a gender in journalism course in the fall, uh, and Dr. Aaron DeVore came over to our class to do a guest lecture on um, a gender, like, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, he came over to talk about gender, and for somebody who's cisgendered like myself, who mm-hmm. has always been curious and wanting to understand, um, you know, the transgender and non-binary community, but just didn't really understand, you know, where to go or who to talk to. Um, I don't have any open uh, trans friends or non-binary friends, so I didn't have anyone I could personally reach out to. Mm -hmm. So when Dr. DeVore came to our class and he just gave this presentation that just went over everything Mm -hmm. and it just sort of like opened my mind to just how to talk about gender Mm -hmm. and, you know, different terms and ways to look at it and just a way for me to understand. And I was really passionate about writing an article that could really be focused towards cisgendered people like myself who needed to understand and wanted to understand. Hmm. That's really cool. Um, So you were kind of unfamiliar with the topic until you heard that and then you continued researching? Yeah, I mean, I obviously Mm -hmm. knew a little bit about, you know, trans and ungendered students or people. Maybe the subtleties. Yeah, the the really like, you know, it's quite obvious that on campus we have a bathroom issue, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of other things that I just am ignorant to because I don't experience it firsthand. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to you know, get a lot of students to come talk to me and really give their, you know, voices a platform. Mm -hmm. So what are kind of the most important things that you've taken away out of learning about gender identity? Just some of the anxieties of everyday life, things that I would never have to focus on. I mean, when you start a class at the beginning of the semester, you're kind of like, oh no, am I going to like this class? Or the essay is going to be hard. Is the teacher going to be good? But for somebody who's transgender or non-binary, some, you know, they have a lot more anxieties. Like, is this going to be a safe space? Am I going to be included? Is there group work? Um, One of the people that I interviewed, they told me that, you know, they, you know, acknowledged that they were, um, non-binary to a student in class and then that student never sat next to them again wow um and so yeah any other kind of things like that that you've been learning about just I definitely got a huge like a bigger perspective Mm -hmm. on the gender in the and bathrooms issue Mm -hmm. um the same student who told me that story they are a visual arts student and they are on the opposite end of campus to the only genderless bathroom um and that can be really awful for students I mean for me personally I can just quickly get out of class and go find the nearest woman's washroom and I feel completely safe I feel fine I do my business and I go back to class but for someone who doesn't want to use a gendered bathroom they can't have that or they are forced to like pick a gendered bathroom which might not actually be the gender that they associate with um, and yeah, kind of on that same vein, um, do you want to talk a bit about kind of the rules of pronouns 
and some stuff you've learned from that? Yeah, definitely. Um, pronouns are still things that I need to like work on getting right because it really does enfor- like um, enforce somebody's gender identity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being mislabeled, misgendered is awful because you're trying to express yourself who you are. And from what I've gathered from talking to people, it, it can be really upsetting. Um, and, you know, it can really create bound like issues like they won't trust you or you know they don't feel comfortable coming out to you um and it's just something that you just need to double check with as well understanding whether or not somebody is open and wants to be have that gendered pronoun Mm -hmm. all the time or as sometimes it can be really unsafe Mm -hmm. uh if they're not out to their family or friends Mm -hmm. and then you use their proper gendered pronoun but that can also be a lot of issues so just constantly you know open communication with somebody who you know is like has like come out to you as trans Mm -hmm. or non-binary and do you think it's kind of a good practice in sort of group gatherings to introduce yourself and your pronoun as well i personally didn't ask someone whether or not that that was the case. I think it's generally up to the person if they feel comfortable enough and just having that open communication with your friends. If Yeah, we shouldn't like expect everyone to want to talk about that all the time, right? Yeah, it's not it's generally it's definitely something that is up to them and they they get to decide what they want to do with that. But yeah, upon their introductions. I know I've been in certain spaces where it's kind of like we go around the room and then everybody um will say it so then it's kind of not singling somebody out but maybe that can be uncomfortable as well it could probably be really traumatic for somebody who doesn't necessarily feel safe in that space or or even decisive right Mm -hmm. you know because it's so fluid I guess and it can be changing yeah some people definitely Mm -hmm. um, express their gender sometimes and some others not all the time so I have some people tell me that they'll you'll know what gender that I'm I'm presenting because Mm -hmm. it's very obvious Mm -hmm. so it can change as well Hmm. um so is there kind of a community here at UVic that students can go um, if they're kind of feeling the pressure, feeling the anxiety um, on campus? Yes, Pride, uh, the Pride Center has a lot of resources for students. Um, I spoke to the office coordinator and they told me that they definitely have a, they have like um, a huge resource for students or not even students, people within the community. And you can get... Um, they can help you pay for it if you don't have enough money. They can also have it shipped to the Pride Center if you're not comfortable having it shipped to your house, if you're not mm. completely out with family or friends. Um, and definitely just the Pride Center has a lot of um, support and they have a lot of resources for trans or non-binary students. Do you have, after speaking with um, people, um, recommendations for kind of I guess cisgendered people to bear in mind while being on campus and trying to make it a safer place just to be really open um I mean I definitely had always wanted to create a safe space and just learning a little bit more helped me understand and I feel better prepared um since then I have had a friend come out to me as non-binary and gens and so that was really like lovely and a beautiful moment I think if you if a cisgendered person wants more information then definitely like contact the pride center mm-hmm. it can be really scary because you don't want to come across as like I was nervous mm-hmm. writing this article because this isn't my life this isn't my perspective mm-hmm. but I knew that it's important and so just you know a lot of if you have somebody in your life who is open and they are okay with talking about it definitely talk to a person who is of that gender identity mm-hmm. um but also just like there are actually a lot of good online resources and the pride center is a really great place to start 
Um, and here at UVic, what do you think the, well, first of all, how can we learn more about the subject? And also, what do you think the main steps are that the university should take to make this campus a more safe place? That's a good question. I personally don't know if I have all the answers to that question. Right, for sure. But mm-hmm. I definitely think one of the biggest things that UVic could do is to take one set of multi-stall bathrooms in every single building mm-hmm. and make them genderless. Because there are at least three or four gendered bathrooms on every floor, and there's four floors in most buildings. Mm-hmm. It is not that hard to take one single set mm-hmm. and make them both genderless. So it's kind of an issue you keep hearing about. Mm-hmm. I think that it's important until it actually gets fixed. And then, um, yeah, so we can read your article in the Martlet for more information. Yes, exactly. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great. And that's it for another episode of You in the Ring. Thanks Miyoko for her interviews with Replicate Studios about 3D printing. Thank you Rochelle for talking to us about her research about at Talking Circles and to Caitlin who spoke with us today from the Martlet about UVic's counseling services and long wait times. Thanks also to Jennifer Landry who discussed gender identity and safe spaces on campus. Our producer is Miyoko and I'm your host Aviva Lassard. Thanks for tuning in to You in the Ring. This is CFUV 101.9.